there a consideration to try to take bin Laden alive, or was the mission to kill him on sight? Uh, absolutely, it was to uh, prepare for all contingencies. Uh, if we had the opportunity to take bin Laden alive, if he didn't present any threat, uh, the uh, individuals involved were able and prepared to do that. We had discussed that extensively in a number of meetings in the White House and with the President. Uh, the concern was that uh, bin Laden uh, would uh, oppose any type of capture op operation. Indeed, he did. There was a firefight. Uh, he therefore was uh, killed in that firefight, uh, and that's when the remains were uh, removed. That was then White House counterterrorism chief John Brennan describing the raid, approved by President Barack Obama, that killed Osama bin Laden inside his Pakistani compound late on the evening of May 1st, 2011. It was a dramatic moment that seemed at the time like the ultimate triumph in the war on terror, one that Obama's political advisors used for maximum effect when he ran for re-election the following year. Only there were a few small problems with Brennan's account that night. Some of the key details that he shared with reporters turned out to be false. There was no firefight between the Navy SEALs and the leader of Al-Qaeda. Bin Laden was unarmed. And from all accounts, there was never any real consideration of taking him alive. As the country this week tries to assess President Trump's account of the raid that killed ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, we'll look back at the Obama White House announcement of the death of bin Laden and note the similarities and the differences on this episode of Buried Treasure. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. You know, I got to say, uh, watching President Trump on Sunday morning talking about the uh, raid that killed al-Baghdadi and taking full credit for it and providing all sorts of juicy details that I did have a sense of deja vu. I was working that night, the night that uh, bin Laden was killed. I remember vividly watching John Brennan's uh, briefing from the White House podium, standing side by side with Jay Carney. And there were a lot of parallels I saw between the way Trump described it and the way Brennan described it. Yeah, a lot of parallels, but also a lot of differences that I think we'll get into in this uh, conversation. And, you know, I think the parallels are, are kind of a desire to give the Hollywood version of what went down, because obviously this stuff is incredibly dramatic. And both the uh, Obama administration and the Trump administration and Trump personally saw a uh, significant opportunity to claim a, a massive uh, victory that wasn't just a military victory, but also a uh, political victory. On the other hand, the Obama announcement was, I think, a nine-minute address in which he was very somber, fairly precise with his language, did not take questions, 
And uh, Trump was, you know, a kind of classic Trump spectacle where he went on and on, took lots of questions, you know, actually said it was like watching a movie and then gave a lot of the cinematic detail and then managed to also take an enormous amount of credit for for what happened. So differences and parallels. Talk about the Hollywood version. Trump talks about uh, how uh, uh, Baghdadi was whimpering and crying when he blew himself up in that suicide vest. I don't know if you caught it, but uh, General Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who, by the way, seems straight from central casting, talking about a Hollywood movie, was asked at the Pentagon briefing just a little while ago, and he acknowledged he had no idea what the source for the president's uh, comments about Big Daddy whimpering and crying was. Because uh, the video and- link had no had no audio, so the president couldn't hear that, which doesn't mean <laughs> it didn't happen. But, but let me just say this uh, before we bring uh, our, our guest on. That actually, in, in some ways, is a parallel, because I think what happens in these situations is the Americans, they want to puncture the myth of Baghdadi as this fearsome and brave military leader. They want to make him look like a scared child or, in Trump's word, little puppy. And if you recall, it's not really dissimilar to what the U.S. military did eventually, uh, which was to release bin Laden's uh, hard drive, to release the information that was on that hard drive, including the fact that he had porn on his hard drive. So it's a part story of the same kind of by uh, our old colleague Mark Hosenball. By that's the way. right, exactly. Um, and you know, I assume that's true, but it wouldn't be the first time that the U.S. government had engaged in in psychological psyops uh, that was not fully grounded in the truth. Again, I'm not suggesting it wasn't true, but it's just the same kind of impulse. And although Trump is not terribly subtle about how he does that, and generally it's not left up to the president of the United States to engage in that kind of psychological warfare, it could be from the same um, impulse. Right. And by the way, Brennan indulged that impulse at that briefing at the White House right after the bin Laden raid talked about how bin Laden was hiding behind one of his wives when the Navy SEALs came in. I think that's uh, pretty analogous to Trump talking about the whimpering and crying of al-Baghdadi. We're going to talk about it with Josh Gerstein uh, from Politico, who's going to be our guest in just a moment. But I think, you know, the two major points here I want to make before we bring Josh in is, number one, these were both great moments for both presidents, Obama and Trump. No question, getting a guy like al-Baghdadi, the head of ISIS, is an important event, just as getting bin Laden was an important event. The raid on bin Laden and the death of bin Laden didn't end al-Qaeda. This raid is not going to end ISIS, but getting the leader of the organization is an important triumph for American counterterrorism. And that said, you know, the impulse to exaggerate, to embellish, to make the most of the moment for political effect is something that uh, runs through and is a parallel between the way the Obama White House handled it and the way the Trump White House handled it. And I think that's worth noting, given some of the press coverage on this. And um, so that's what I think we want to discuss.
we now have on the line Josh Gerstein of Politico, senior legal affairs contributor, who was actually writing about the bin Laden raid at the time and in particular uh, did a story right after John Brennan's briefing the next day, I believe, pointing out some of the details that Brennan got wrong. Josh, welcome to Skullduggery. Hey, Mike. Great to be with you a famous podcast. I'm happy to have a part in it. <laughs> well, uh, you'll have uh, many opportunities in the future, but for this one, this is uh, what we call buried treasure. We take a story from the past that's relevant to today, and as I pointed out at the top of uh, my discussion with Danny here, that I thought back about the uh, bin Laden raid and how the Obama White House handled it as I was watching Trump yesterday uh, describe the al-Baghdadi raid. I just wondered if uh, you had the same thoughts. Yeah, I, I, I did. I mean, these are things that the White House is under extreme pressure to take political credit for in real time. And that extreme pressure often leads to characterizations that are wrong or at least are uh, disputed. And it's pretty clear to me, you know, if you look back at the bin Laden raid, if they'd been given, say, a week to figure out how to explain what happened, they might have done a much better job of it. And probably the same thing is true here with Trump, except, of course, you have a presidency where the president is much more interested in personally claiming credit for everything rather than leaving it to his deputies or minions to explain stuff, which means that, you know, if things are mucked up, it's on, on him personally, as opposed to something he can blame on his staff. So, so Josh, in the, in the bin Laden example, I'm trying to understand, you know, you laid out the kind of the motivation here to take maximum political credit to, you know, I mean, it was already an incredibly dramatic event, even sticking to the facts that they knew. But how do you think this actually happens in real time? I mean, is it some combination of kind of the fog of war, but then also wanting the Hollywood version of it, which obviously will have more kind of political impact. How does this actually happen? I mean, it does seem like a lot of the mistakes that were made were in favor of a more dramatic account. So you have to be suspicious that there was a lot of pressure to produce the most uh, Hollywood-ready story that you could. But I do think, Dan, that it is also a fog of war situation. I mean, this is part of the reason why no one would ever, I think, in the military internally try to write a after action report, you know, you know, three hours after an event, you need to gather these accounts. Um, even in that bin Laden raid, you know, various yeah. things went wrong. Remember a helicopter crashed and, you know, so this wouldn't be like the ideal time to be trying to get narratives out of everybody. And then sometimes different people's narratives just don't line up. I mean, even years after the event, we have different special forces, people coming forward and saying, you know, I shot him or, or I shot him or there were two wives or there was one wife. So, you know, the interesting um, thing to me, Josh, is sometimes I sat through these military briefings, nothing as dramatic as either one of these raids. But it seems to me that the military, when they do them, they tend to be much more kind of clinical, just the facts, sometimes even boring uh, talking about this stuff. And maybe that is because they don't have quite the same political need to go beyond the facts, make it more dramatic. I think that's probably true. I mean, it was interesting that you had uh, Brennan come out and give that briefing after the bin Laden raid, uh, somebody who was very close to 
President Obama and certainly aware of, at a minimum, the political exigencies uh, of the moment as far as the White House was concerned. I don't know if you would get the same briefing out of Secretary of Defense or, or a Chairman of the Joint Chiefs. And even it seems like on this account of this al-Baghdadi raid that the Pentagon seems more reluctant to put out sexy details than the president himself was the night, you know, the night that it happened. Well, let me be just a little bit more granular about what Brennan got wrong that night and the reason why I think he got it wrong. I mean, the principal point was, and I'm, I'm just reading from your story, uh, by the way, in Politico, the next, the next day after the White House fessed up that it had not been completely accurate about uh, its initial account of the bin Laden raid. Brennan, when he briefed, was specifically asked about what the goal of the raid was. Was it to kill bin Laden or capture him. And Brennan said, well, we were prepared for all contingencies, left open the suggestion that U.S. forces would have been willing to capture bin Laden had he surrendered. But he said that would, as events turned out, that was not feasible because bin Laden had a weapon and was engaged in a firefight. That part turned out to be false. He also talked about how one of his wives, he sought to hide behind one of his wives who was killed in the raid. Um, now, the reason why Brennan got it wrong was he wanted to fit that narrative of we didn't go in there to kill the guy, right? He wanted to leave it open because that would have sounded a little crude, a little, it would have been a little inflammatory in the Islamic world. And uh, he wanted to maintain the fiction, as it turned out, that the Obama administration committed to the rule of law as it was, would have been happy to capture bin Laden and give him a trial. The most thorough account of the bin Laden raid came some months later in The New Yorker by Nicholas Schmidl. He talked to a lot of the Navy SEALs who were on the ground, who were there. And I'll just read you a passage from his account of it, of the dramatic moment when the Navy SEALs confront bin Laden. A second SEAL stepped into the room and trained the infrared laser of his M4 on bin Laden's chest. The Al-Qaeda chief who was wearing a tan shalwar kameez and a prayer cap on his head froze. He was unarmed, quote, there was never any question of detaining or capturing him. It wasn't a split second decision. No one wanted detainees, the special operations officer told me. So there you have it. I mean, the guy on the ground contradicting what Brennan was saying from the White House podium. Right. But I think those guys on the ground also said that they had been told officially that it was a kill or capture op uh, operation nominally. But the, the ground rules that were set up were such that in reality, he was never gonna be captured. Like if he ran out naked into the middle of a courtyard, he might've been captured, but yeah. I have a quote from one of Obama's uh, top yeah. military advisors who was uh, deeply involved in planning this operation. You mentioned naked. <laughs> this is what, so this was the quote. This is from um, another excellent uh, account of the uh, bin Laden operation by me, actually, <laughs> in my book. <laughs> in my book. In a book? What was that? What was the name of that book again? It must uh, be true. That. Kill or capture. <laughs> Kill or capture. <laughs> okay. ah. All right. Here, here's the quote. The only way bin Laden was going to be taken alive was if he was naked, had his hands in the Whoa. air, was waving right. a white flag, 
and was unambiguously shouting, I surrender. So the, 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 <laughs> the, those were the uh, rules of engagement. Uh, the, and basically, you know, the point was they didn't want to put these brave special operators in any danger of being wounded or killed. And so, so there were extremely loose uh, rules of engagement. And that essentially uh, is a... traps or suicide vests and it, things like that. Exactly. And that is essentially a kill operation. But under those circumstances, you know, the guy's exaggerating a little bit, but if he had his hands up and if he was saying, I surrender, I think they probably would have captured him. Right. The weird part about this is, you know, in terms of the legalism where they're supposed to theoretically offer him some opportunity to surrender, you know, they could have just bombed his compound and they would have killed everybody in the compound, including all of all the women and children who were there. So sometimes the niceties of these legal arguments can be a little bit confusing, I think, to the average person. Yeah, right. I was going to say, by the way, you notice how nobody talked or asked Trump about, you know, did you make any effort to capture al-Baghdadi? I think the idea of even leaving that option open seems to have uh, uh, not be a factor in this administration. Right. Now, there was also some report, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, that in the bin Laden raid, they actually were planning to take maybe some captives, um, but they couldn't because of the crashed helicopter and just decided to leave everybody there. I, I don't know if you think that's correct or not, but that's how these things remain murky, you know, years after the fact. Right. And they did take other ISIS guys uh, captive in the raid on Sunday. So there is value in getting intelligence when you can capture people. But, uh, you know, when, you talk, when you're talking about the big guy, I think the assumption is you want to kill him. And Trump's dealing with a nightmare over there right now, you know, with the prisoners and, and so forth. You know, I don't know how many more heads they want to add to their collection of people that they had to put or to send. Um, I, maybe that doesn't enter into it when you've got somebody at this level, but yet you'd think it has to be a factor as they're trying to you know, at least lower their um, presence in Syria, if not pull out altogether. You know, Josh, wh- one of the things we um, talked about before you came on the show is that there is often a psyops element to uh, embellishing the truth and exaggerating a little bit. And we talked about you know, how Brennan said that bin Laden had put one of his wives in front of him as a shield. Uh, you know, we've got Trump talking about how al-Baghdadi was, you know, whimpering and crying uh, like, a ba- like a baby. All of that meant to cut these guys down to size, make them not look particularly tough, and to kind of puncture the myth of them being, you know, strong, powerful, fearsome leaders. So is it possible to you that that was part of Brennan's uh, impulse at the time? Yeah, I mean, maybe he wasn't as eager to use the direct words like coward, like the president uh, did or or whimpering, but certainly to assert that he grabbed his wife when the American soldiers came in looking for him and used her as a human shield. I think that night we all had, we were under no illusions about what the White House was saying. They were saying also that, that bin Laden was his tough talk of marshalling the forces of radical Islam against the United States uh, was, you know, a wimp when he was actually confronted by uh, the might of American power. So there's no question that that's part of the narrative. And then, but that's what's so strange about it is to have it sort of disintegrate within um, 24 hours is, I thought, rather astounding, which is what, what led to that piece. The other thing I thought that the White House did that was a little questionable was, you know, they kept talking about how they'd taken all these steps to protect women and children, which is fine. But in many of those narratives, they admitted the fact that one of bin Laden's wives was shot in the raid, which 
you know, uh, they probably did take steps to mitigate the impact on women and children. But, you know, it seems to me if you're going to talk about that publicly, you need to mention that you did you 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 shot one of the one of the women. Well, that 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 is true. But but as you pointed out before, uh, they rejected you know, one of the options, which was to drop, you know, essentially a bunker buster bomb on the compound, which would have, which would have essentially incinerated everybody there. You know, the main reason I think part of the reason they didn't elect that option was because they wanted to make sure that they would be able to identify the remains um, of, uh, of bin Laden so that they could prove that he was dead. But sparing civilian lives was a significant part of it as well. Right. You mentioned PSYOPs as as one reason why you might want to uh, embellish what happened and diminish the guy you've just killed in the eyes of the world. But let's not forget, there was a political benefit to Obama in killing bin Laden, just as there's going to be. uh, In fact, there probably already is a political benefit for Trump in killing al-Baghdadi. And uh, just to sort of reinforce that, I'm looking at a Guardian story from a year later when the Obama campaign rolled out a campaign ad. This is the election year, all about the bin Laden raid. Uh, I'm just reading from it now. Barack Obama is marking the anniversary of Osama bin Laden's death with a campaign suggesting that his Republican rival, Mitt Romney, lacks the guts to have ordered the raid that killed the al-Qaeda leader. And we've actually got a clip of that uh, ad, which uh, we're going to play for a moment. The ad starts with text on screen. The commander in chief gets one chance to make the right decision. That's one thing George Bush said it was right. The president is the decider in chief. Nobody can make that decision for you. Look, he knew what would happen. Suppose the Navy SEALs had gone in there and it hadn't been Bin Laden. Suppose they'd been captured or killed. The downside would have been horrible for him. But he reasoned. I cannot in good conscience do nothing. He took the harder and the more honorable path. And the one that produced, in my opinion, the best result. So the only point here is, I know uh, in typical Trumpian fashion, he was trying to uh, reap maximum political benefit from the uh, raid on Sunday, uh, taking shots, talking about how he couldn't trust Nancy Pelosi to brief her ahead of time because it might leak, you know, taking some shots at some of the intel people who have gone after him. But look, it's worth noting that uh, the impulse to take maximum political benefit from something like this uh, is uh, is pretty bipartisan. And the Obama campaign ad is a good example of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I I agree that it's put to political use, but I do think that when you look at the way Obama handled it, there was also an element of his presentation that was entirely absent from Trump's that, you know, this was a continuation, an effort under many presidencies. I think I've seen some of his people pointing out that once they got the confirmation that bin Laden was dead, that uh, Obama called uh, President Bush and President Clinton to inform them of that fact. So, you know, the messaging overall was that Obama had followed through on a long-held goal of the United States um, that had been pursued aggressively by, you know, at least two other presidents. And of course, Trump approaches it from, it seems to me, 
almost 180 degrees opposite perspective and insists that um, he's really the only one that has worked on this and he's the only one that could have brought about uh, a raid like this and that it's somehow entirely separate from everything that has gone before, which seems to be the way he approaches just about everything. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, um, there are similarities, but there are really significant uh, differences. Obama approached this in a kind of a somber, just the facts way uh, that, that presidents have done traditionally. Um, there, there wasn't the kind of you know, dancing on, on uh, bin Laden's grave, uh, spiking the football. And I think Obama understood that language in these uh, contexts matter, and there is a danger um, of inflaming passions of people who you want to win over, I mean, who you want to make inroads with, who would be susceptible to recruitment. And while both sides, I think, um, you know, try to take some political benefit from this, which, you know, actually is is okay. You know, it's, it's a question of degree uh, and it's a question of sticking to the facts. But in terms of the overall presentation, in terms of the kind of, you know, kind of public outreach, public diplomacy piece of this, if you will, I think there's pretty substantial differences. I'll just make one final point uh, as we wrap this up, since uh, we referred before to Mitt Romney, uh, Obama's uh, opponent in 2012. Everybody has been watching Romney very closely in recent weeks because uh, he famously uh, uh, criticized uh Trump for his pullout of uh, U.S. troops from Syria. He called it a stain on the annals of American history. Pretty strong stuff, which I think a lot of us read into as uh, Romney opening the door to turning on Trump and perhaps becoming, you know, the first Republican who would break with him on what is looking like a near certain impeachment trial coming up in the Senate after the raid on uh, al-Baghdadi uh, on Sunday, Romney tweeted, al-Baghdadi spread fire and brimstone on earth. Now he feels it for himself in hell. To all who arranged his change of venue, the intel officers, the president, the warriors, thank you. So there he was thanking President Trump. I think, you know, politically to me, that was the most significant single thing I read yesterday, because if you want to sort of play out how this the impact of the Baghdadi raid is going to have, it's, you know, does it lead to people like Romney who are about to break with Trump or it looked like that a few weeks ago coming back into the fold? Okay, one cautionary note, you know, Obama got a bump in the polls um, after the bin Laden operation, I think it dissipated after about six days. So, you know, things move pretty quickly um, in uh, uh, today's uh, political environment. And I, I do think it has brought him closer together with his allies, too, uh, Mike, with the people like Senator Graham, who was kind of at the White House's throat, maybe not the jugular quite, but somewhere near the throat three weeks ago, saying that saying ISIS was de- defeated was the worst um, lie that the Trump White House has ever told. And then, lo and behold, right after this raid, he's sitting there at the White House, Graham is uh, briefing reporters uh, and saying that, you know, the president, he more or less sees eye to eye now on issues related to Syria. It seems like uh, to the extent the president needed to paper things over with his some of his more loyal supporters like Graham, 
this seems to have provided a very convenient opportunity to do that. I agree. In another uh, month or so, uh, I think all we'll be talking about in Washington is where are the Republican senators who are going to be sitting as jurors in in the Trump impeachment trial. So watching the tea leaves on what people like Romney, Graham, and a lot of these other GOP senators, you know, give off is uh, is something we're going to be doing a lot of. And uh, it's good to get started now. Josh, thanks for joining us on Skullduggery, and we will be having you back soon. Okay, great to talk to you guys. It, it was an honor. Thanks to Politico Senior Legal Affairs contributor Josh Gerstein for joining us on this episode of Buried Treasure. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. Be sure to follow us on social media at Skullduggery Pod. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>